Hello and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly, and we are in round 15, turn two. Today, we're going to be reviewing what turned out to be a bit of a sleeper hit for many of our group. In 2021, the game is called Furnace. We've talked about it quite a bit. And then we'll be discussing a topic games Ben doesn't want to play with his friends. (laughs) Now, Ben, by the way, yes, uh, Ben texted me last night Uh-oh. saying that he really likes the topic. And he actually <laughs> said that Furnace is a game that he's reluctant to buy for that very reason. You you ratted out to him what the topic was going to be. Unbelievable. Well, remember, uh, you wanted us to research when he actually discussed this issue on the podcast. Um, and when I couldn't find it, and you couldn't find it for a while, oh my goodness! Um, I texted him for help. Oh no, well, we're Dimitri. all family. It's I was okay. just dying for him to have that experience of waking up Monday morning, looking at the the the, the podcast as they come in and see games Ben doesn't want to play with his friends and be like, oh. <laughs> uh, I'm just out of curiosity. Have I ever spoiled a movie for you? All the time. So there you go. There you go. All there you go. The time. Uh, we, <laughs> I we, continue to be the spoiler. Yeah. Uh, it, maybe instead of uh, being the philosophical gamer, I should be the spoiled gamer. You are definitely, definitely gamer. that. Um, games Ben doesn't want to play with his friends refers to our uh, end of the year episode where Ben said that he coined something, the Sagrada effect, and that is games that are short and not the deepest in the world, but are so catchy that his friends want to play them again and again and again. And so if he brings them out and teaches them that, he can't play the games that he wants to play, which are a little bit longer and a little bit more involved. So we're going to be taking that as a topic, as a group of games, and dissect What is it about them that makes them so appealing to the casual gamer? And what is it about them that stops them from, you know, from being something that uh, the harder core gamers really want to involve themselves with because of this very problem? And as you can tell, joining me today is uh, is our own casual gamer, Jake. How you doing, Jake? I'm real well, man. Hi, everybody. Hey, Jake. And uh, you already heard the other one. Dimitri, Dimitri Pornoy, the other one. How you doing, Dimitri? Um, uh, well, uh, yesterday I decided to have a cocktail, and uh, before listening to Yefim Bronfman uh, playing uh, Rachmaninoff's third con- third piano concerto at uh, the Walt Disney Hall, because that was my sophisticated evening. Uh, so right now I feel pummeled, Almost as pummeled as that Steinway that started uh, going out of tune in the third movement. Uh, it was a German conductor, uh, and the second piece of the program was uh, a big suite from Romeo and Juliet, and both of them were played as loud and fast as possible. Uh, so, oh, yes, yes, it was a very sophisticated evening. Um, and, and I'm still trying to put the pieces together right now in my head. So when you pieces said you were hungover, before the call, you said you were hungover, and I thought you were joking. You're serious. Uh, well, I'm again, I'm probably more hungover from the music uh, uh, than from this single cocktail. But then again, I'm, 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 I'm although I'm very heavy, I, I'm not used to alcohol. 
the other thing is that uh, we are recording remotely. Uh, so uh, everybody, please expect me not just to not make any sense, but also uh, produce extraneous domestic and canine noises. Uh, not all the canine noises are from my dogs. Yeah, well, we were hoping to record oh, live. Bleach. Yeah, we were hoping we to record to. live, but something happened in between that. Uh, perhaps you can tell that my voice is a little, a little deeper, a little more bassier than uh, than usual. And that is because I am on day four of my COVID experience. Uh, 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 So let me just start off right away by saying I could not have had a more mild case. I mean, literally super mild. Uh, This is, for me, I am triple vaxxed. So I was super, super vaccinated, super, super careful. Um and I still managed to, uh, uh, to 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 get it, but it has been very very mild. I've never had a fever. What what are we up to now as far as the the pod? How many of our game group has had it? I don't know exactly. Do like I know a roll you, call. I know you and I have. Um, yeah. So yeah. so the situation for me is very simple. Um, I knew that this was a risk because my wife is a kindergarten teacher, so she is live in, in person with uh, 25-year-olds trying to keep masks on, um, and it's really hard not to catch COVID. Like, at her grade level, I think she was the last teacher to get it, so she was super careful, but still got it. So uh, a week ago, last Thursday, um, she was coughing in the night, you know, in, in in the bed that we share. And I was like, oh, this, this isn't good. Luckily, didn't catch it then. I managed to, to, to avoid it. We kept her separate. And she went through her entire course of, you know, being sick for, for five days with good isolation and, and everything was going great. And I thought, oh, we're through it. That's fantastic. And then my daughter says, I don't feel so good. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Because... Of course, I'm I'm daddy daycare, right? I'm feeding and taking care of and driving everywhere with her, and it seems somehow she she caught it, probably probably from my wife. Um, you know, my wife was doing such so we were doing so good on the protocols. We were so proud of each other and how it was going. And then Soleil got it, and two days later, uh, yeah, I started I started feeling it. But luckily, all three of us very mild. Uh, we're all fully we're all fully vaxxed, and um, uh, you know you never know what tomorrow you know, tomorrow may bring. But I believe that I am on the downslope of this already, and it is going it is going very very well. All I can say is, people get get those get those vaccinations. If you haven't gotten your booster, get your booster. Uh, the the difference is literally life and death. Agreed. You know, for my family, we it's just the three of us here. And uh, after the long winter break, like the day after my kid went back to school, it was a Wednesday because, of course, they take a few extra days off just as like teacher appreciation. We're not quite ready yet. Sure. So then the principal calls us after day one to be like, your kid was exposed. There was a case in his class. Do a test. Make sure so that he can come back. 
So we have a million of those at-home tests. Right. You know, my wife like stockpiled them like they were the sponges. And <laughs> we all took tests. And me and him instantly were, were positives. Like the line popped right up. And she was negative. She's maintained negative living with us throughout this entire experience. Oh, and we were, me and him were in that 40 plus percent of positive cases that are just asymptomatic. Like I wouldn't have known I had it. I had nothing, not one symptom whatsoever. And... We tested every day therein, and then a few days later, it was negative. And it was just so, it's so funny because, like, for two years, I was so stressed about getting it. Yeah. And then basically, I was positive for two days with no symptoms. And then that was it. And now I'm just off the board. Now I'm like a, I'm like a ghost in this world who can neither transmit nor receive. And it's, it's, quite, a, it's quite a nice feeling, I got to tell you. <laughs> it's, I mean, there is a, a person I know that, uh, you know, in a in a different part of the nation, who who got the Omicron variant and is dead now, just died from it. So correct. There. And you know what? It's like you just got to get the booster, like you said, because yeah. all of us were all tripled up, and it's it's really important. Really, really is. Um, so enough about that. Let us get yeah. back to what we want to talk about, which is uh, which is gaming. Dimitri's hangover. Yeah, Dimitri's hangover. Um, <laughs> Let's say we see my musical if, hangover. Oh my god, my musical hangover. Let's see if uh, we have anything to report in this motley crew on game night. Uh, we'll start with we'll start with Jake because usually there's not a lot to report. What games you've been playing, Jake? I will tell you. Um, me and my buddies who have not every week, but kind of weekly video game thing that we'll do over the Xbox. We've been playing Alien Fireteam Elite, and uh, it's just the IP of the Aliens movie, and it's like a third person oh. shooter um, co op. And so you know, there he lives in Redlands, and one's back in New York, and the three of us get together and we. The last couple of weeks, we've been just shooting aliens, both on you know homeworlds and in bases and in ships, and it's it's pretty amazing. I got to tell you, like as a video game player, regardless of board games, it's insanely good. And if you enjoy that kind of thing, you should check it out. And do the aliens look Geiger esque? Do they? Do they? Do, do they they look perfect. They, it's literally, it's like almost photorealistic. They drop out of the ceiling. I play with the lights off. It's spooky as hell. And like more than once, I'm startled and almost oh, dropped wow. the controller. They, they did a really good environmental game. Like the music is insane. The, it, it, the Even they got the sounds of the guns proper. You know that like machine gun burst that everybody that loves that movie knows so well? You got oh, yeah. that in your hands. It's really, really well done. And... You know, if you've got Xbox Pass or whatever it's called, it's just it's just there for free to play. So Dude. it's it's super fun time, and it's just like being in that world. I, I love it when they do an IP so well that you really feel like you're just transported to that place. Oh yeah, oh yeah, especially yeah, especially Alien. It's just because it's all oh God, it's, it's all so about good. atmosphere and immersion, right? It is, and they crush it. They just totally crush it. It's really worth a look if you either like that that IP or that uh, style of gaming. Oh man, awesome. Awesome, Dimitri. Yep. What about you? What you been? What have you been up to these days? Um, I've only been doing one game-related thing, other than thinking about the podcast, um, and, and that's playing Teach You online and BGA. And, and of course, Teach You is my favorite game. Yep. One of my two favorite games, yep. Avalon being the other one. And 
I, I think I finally figured out uh, playing 400 games online why I win with uh, a portion of really excellent players uh, <clears throat> and some other portion of excellent players I, I do terrible with. Um, and that's because there are two basic strategies that are completely diametrically op opposed to each other. Uh, one strategy says concentrate all the good cards as much as possible in one of the partner's hands and then call teach you a lot, uh, which is the strategy that I've been playing. <clears throat> the other strategy says uh, uh both partners should have um, good cards. Let's not call Tichu a lot, uh, and let's try to get out uh, <clears throat> in the middle and get points. And there are great players who have the second strategy, but if you don't talk about it beforehand, uh, and of course you're playing with random people so you can't, right. you can get in trouble. So mm -hmm. that makes sense. So looking at the statistics, I mean, does the does the online implementation have stats for this, and and does it bear out that the the point players versus the teacher players, the point players are competitive in terms of their overall win loss record? Really? Uh, they are real. Well, here's the thing: <clears throat> there are average players, and there are good players, and there are ranked players. Uh, and because <clears throat> I call teach you a lot and I concentrate the hands, uh, I swing uh, I, I wildly. I, 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 I Based been, on your partner. Uh, I've been up to like 50th or 49th ranked player all the way down to the bottom uh, of the mm. geography. Mm. And I keep going up and down. And you expect swings with that strategy, but the swings are going to be... Um, amplified uh, because you're playing with players who are not pursuing that strategy. Right. You know, that's so uh, interesting to me because it <laughs> seems like such a game built around knowing your player, your teammate. I mean, it's quite literally the better you know your teammate, the better you're going to do. So the fact that it's even available to just play with strangers seems like such a, I don't know, it seems like such a disadvantage. Well, you're playing with people all over the world in different time zones. I have the feeling that the really top players do play in teams of two. Uh, yeah. It's not something I want to do because uh, I, I don't want that commitment. Um, and I can't <laughs> have that commitment. Right. All your love goes to your puppies. Uh, all my love goes to you guys and Gabriel. I mean, as you know, I, I play a fair bit of teaching myself and... Indeed. I am frankly flabbergasted that you can play competitively and win with a strategy of spread the wealth between the two partners, don't call Tichu, and go for the point game because it doesn't seem like that is viable over the long term. They're, Completely agree with you, Tom. Right? There Completely are 100 agree. points in every hand, and calling Tichu is worth another 100 points. And if you even have a 10%, 15% advantage against the average hand, you've got a very good chance of being able to go out first. When it's when it's one out of four people is going to go out first, 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I'm with you on this, Tom. It seems intrinsically, uh, you know, built to do it that way. Yeah. But, but let me tell you something. The guy that I had this conversation with, who pursues the point strategy, uh, actually owns um, a trick-taking uh, club in Vegas, a private club where people pay to go in uh, and, and play trick-taking games. Wow. Uh, so I, I, I'm sure he knows a hundred times more about trick-taking games that, than I do. Mm. Uh, so but maybe not more about Jichu. Just to be clear. Maybe not more about Jichu, but I'm presenting this as an interesting thing. It is interesting. And also, I'm playing Tichu online right now, so if I seem distracted, uh, <laughs> please excuse me. Now, Dimitri, this is the English is not your first language. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to replay this conversation a little bit. You talk to a random person online who tells you he's got a members only club for tricks in Los, An- in, in Las Vegas. Uh, Did he ask for your credit card number? Tr- tr- yes, trick taking. Yes. In Vegas. In Vegas. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We'll, so a we'll, trick in Vegas can mean a very different thing. That's what I'm saying. And trick and trick taking. Uh, I'm not sure that you're going to the club you think you're going to, Dimitri. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, well, I haven't been to Vegas. Again, as serial commercials have taught me as a kid, tricks are for kicks. That's true. I could see like Dimitri going. Even though in. it's your second language, you still speak English better than most of the people I know. That's so true. I'm just saying. I would love to see Dimitri going into this club. All right, who am I going to be? Who's going to be my partner? Oh, cinnamon. <laughs> cinnamon. Okay, cinnamon is my partner. And oh man, oh my god, That's hilarious. God, uh, by Dimitri. the way, um, uh, Tom, I-, I do want to respond to something that was said Uh-oh. during last week's episode. Here we go. Uh, because mm. Candace uh, 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 revealed that I. Uh, asked her to watch the Beatles documentary. Um, and, and I want to clarify that, the eight-hour Beatles documentary that Peter Jackson did uh, okay. uh, uh, on Disney or Apple. I forget which one it was. Um, and and I, I don't want people to think that I recommended the documentary to Candace because she's a musician. Uh, I actually think the documentary should be seen by every creative person. Um, it's essential viewing for any creative collaborator. Uh, and uh, the reason is, uh, Tom, do you know who Noel Coward is? Yeah, of course he does. Yes, of course. Yes. So he's a screenwriter and a playwright, uh, a uh, um, songwriter from the 30s and 20s. Uh, he, he wrote uh, Design for Living. He wrote Pleasant, Pleasant Laughter. Uh, that won the Tony for Kevin Klein in 2017, and the Blythe. audience was rolling. I think Blythe Say Spirit again. is his most famous, yes? Yeah, sure, well, it's sure. his most remade thing. Yes, uh, and, and uh, there's an enormous amount of work that the audience and the actors enjoy equally. And, and what he said is, work is more fun than fun. Uh, and oh. creative work is more fun than fun. And the Beatles documentary is eight hours uh, of absolute brilliant geniuses uh, making 
writing and recording an album, an entire album of 14 songs in three weeks, which is amazing. And for eight hours, you watch two people, one of them, Billy Preston, always having fun. And the rest, sometimes having fun and sometimes not. Uh, and I think it's a very interesting experiment that tells you why aren't these super geniuses doing amazing work? Why isn't everyone having fun? And, and I think uh, if you are a creator, uh, if you're a creative collaborator, uh, you have to watch it and decide for yourself uh, why. Uh, it, it's essential. Okay. So it, it's not just because you dated Yoko Ono and you think that it exonerates her? Uh, it, 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 yes, I, I actually, I'm a huge fan of Yoko Ono. And <laughs> anyone who ever sees her art uh, or goes to any Yoko Ono show uh, will be in my company. So, yeah, it's not her fault. Um, there you go. Uh, and I'll, I will leave it to that. Uh, I bet you Yoko and John would have been a great teacher team. <laughs> they probably would be. Uh, listen, I have never, I, I have not seen the, the special yet, but based on your recommendation and, and, and your eloquent uh, elucidation of why it's important to see, I'm going to go and I'm going to start watching it today. Yeah, wow. Just remember that like the first three hours are kind of slow. I'd like to counter. Yes. By saying, based on that same recommendation, I'm still not going to watch it, at least uh, anytime soon. Because who has eight hours? Where Where is that going to come from? Jake, you you have eight hours. You got you got a lot more. <laughs> than, you got a lot more than eight hours, buddy. Okay. Thing, no, no, no. Jake is remodeling his entire house in the pandemic. In the middle of a, it's a little TMI for this pod, but we are in the middle in my house of a kitchen reno and bathroom reno oh double my. barrel shotgun and we're living through it instead of moving out and just letting them do it while we're gone like regular people. Oh boy. So it's been interesting around here. Oh boy. Oh boy, that's yeah. something. Yep, yep. That but is anyway, something. Back to game. Back, back to, to game and back game. to game night. Um for me, cuz I haven't talked about game night yet. I am in a weird place. First of all, COVID. We had, you know, basically this is this is uh, two weeks straight of uh, COVID and try to keep everybody safe and alive and failing and um, everybody's alive, but failing to keep everybody from getting it. Um, but even before that, I find myself in this weird little place. So I can't go back to playing games online. I'm having a real I'm having a real problem going to TTS. And playing a game again, I I I, I feel like well, it's I, such a poor substitute for real life interaction. It does. It is to begin it's, with. It's a and it's a block for me. It is. Right I mean, now. come on. It has been a block. It's a for great me. resource, but I, I totally hear you on this. Yeah, I can't. I can't take it. I I don't know what it, I don't know what, what I can say more about it other than that. Um, I can't wait until we're back to in person gaming. The numbers are dropping. Uh, rapidly in terms of infection level, so I'm hoping within two weeks to be to be back to in-person gaming. Um, well, I'll tell you what, Tom. I'd like to propose something. How yeah. about anybody who's had it can come and play because we're all immune now. It'll be a small group, but it could be fun. Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah. I'm just saying, I give you a big hug and a kiss right now, and then that's because I can't do anything. I'm immune. I would, I would wait a few days for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what well, I would well, do. Well, actually, the, uh, 
there have been documented reinfections. Uh, so there's no such thing as 100% immunity says someone who's never had it, so how would I know? Uh, you, you know, um, uh, but uh, Trey, Tom, has been talking about doing uh, a game brain con uh, like we did last year uh, during President's Day weekend. I would love and it. And that may not be a bad idea. That's uh, two weeks from now. I don't only love it, I need it, frankly. Yeah, I, I, need, I feel you on that one. It's really, it's really important for... Maybe it's just the last two weeks of, of dealing with COVID in my house. Um, but I need the company of my friends and, and I need to I feel be, you, man. You know, it's important. It's a legit important thing. It really is. Yeah. Uh, Tom, you're whether, my hero, whether you by play the games way. with your friends um, or do whatever. Yeah. Dimitri, I'm your taking hero. care of sick people is very hard. Uh, yeah. and, and, and taking care of your sick family and getting it yourself, um, it, 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 it is, a heroic thing. Uh, it's a testament um, to being and, a family and, uh, man and a father. That's that's what you got to do. It, it was a failure. I was a failure. <laughs> that's what, no. That's what it comes no. down to. What, here, well, no, it's not because what would you have done different? Could you have done different? Nothing. It's tearing through every family across the country. I have no idea. I don't you know. What are you going to do? Know. Wrap everybody in plastic? It's impossible. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe. You you didn't fail. What you did was you succeeded because you got your family and yourself the shots, which made it yep. so that it doesn't matter that you got it. That's what you did. Well, let's not say doesn't matter, but let's say it's a, it's it's a, a a much more manageable disease. Yeah, um, yeah, because you, you never know. L- long COVID is a real thing, and and we don't know if any of us are going to have no, some. That's true. Some long COVID. Uh, that's true. Symptoms, but uh, you know we'll see. Anyway, long story short. I have been playing very, very, very few games. One thing I have been playing a lot um, is the is the game du jour, Wordle, and um, oh, the Wordle, uh, the Wordle. My daughter discovered Wordle a week ago, and she's like, "Daddy, have you heard of this Wordle?" I'm like, "Baby, come on here. Look at when I see my scores. Here's my here's my record. I've been playing it for for a month." And she's like, "Oh, I want to play." Her first game. This little this little gutter snipe gets it in two her first try. I'm like, what? What? I have never got. I had, and to that date, I had never gotten a two. I got. I still haven't gotten a two. I've I got threes. I'm like, I got a I got a really good ratio, but two, no, never a two. And then the next day, I got it in two, and I couldn't wait to show sure. her. Like, I got it in two. I got it in two. Take that, because she was just. She was lording it over me. She she was bringing it up all the time, and I figured, okay, that that's the end of it. Next day, she gets another two. I'm like, oh, that's it. So my daughter and I are in this this uh, war, this daily wordle war that we have between the two of us. And uh, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I recently just finished up a uh, a wordle sort of golf championship with me and Maddie and a couple of friends, and we'd play it every day for you know. 18 holes and lowest score got it. Oh. So it you're, really you're playing one of, the, play. one of the variants one of the variants that allows you to uh, play it many times in a day? No, no, we play it once a day oh, and it's okay. like a hole of golf each day and whoever scores the best and we kept a running tally and after 18 holes whoever did the last strokes was the victor. It was a very fun endeavor. Oh, well, that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah. yeah uh, by the way, way I found about War- I found out about Wardle on New Year's Eve, uh, December thirty first. 
before I read about it in the New York Times. And do you know who introduced me to it? Let me see. Who introduced it to you? Was it the guy that owns that trick-taking thing in Vegas? No, it was Matt number one. Ah, uh, Matt Robinson. So, so that's another thing that Matt has done for me. Um, and uh, by the way, Tom, it was his idea uh, to play the golf. Jake, you may I not know you. this, but Matt gave me my first Kindle Aww, as a gift. That's sweet. Did not yeah, know so, that. So uh, people, listen up. He he really knows where it's at. He even <laughs> had the podcast called "Get Up on This," and he. Um, after finishing that podcast and starting this one, uh, he is uh, using it. Uh, he's doing a, a private service uh, for his friends uh, of continuing that good work. That's awesome. Maddie is the best. No question about it. Full stop. Shall we get to the news? Good evening, Mr. Mr. Not a ton of news right now. It's a little bit on the light side, but we will say that there is a uh, app version, a mobile version of Wavelength that is coming out in three days. By the time you hear this on the podcast, it'll be about two days away from coming out. Go to wavelength.zone and they call it a party game in your pocket, and it absolutely is. And uh, looking at the app and the way they implement it, I'm like, oh my god! Well, of course, why don't why don't they do do it this way? It's it's so easy to do. It doesn't require that big device and opening mm-hmm. and closing things, and uh, it looks fantastic. Doesn't it? What do you guys think? I think it's a great idea. It's one of my favorite lightest party games. Uh, it actually is my favorite light party game. But where's the party? And, yeah, and, I hear you. Am I going to play it? all the time and not do anything else. And so it scares me. Uh, <laughs> well, you can, I mean, you can, you can bring your phone to a party and you don't have to bring out a big box and say, Hey, everybody, we're going to play a game. You could just hold up the phone and say, Hey, you guys want to try this fun little thing? It might, you know, it might actually reduce the barrier to entry. I think it's a great idea. I'm glad they did it. I think it's a smart, it's a smart transition. Yes, 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 yes. I agree. Um, next up, one of our favorite games, one of our true, true, absolute gems, Barrage, has, mm-hmm. an, has announced, Simone Luciani has said that their next release is going to be a new map that works for two to four players with new mechanics. So it sounds like we are going to have a map uh, mini to medium level expansion for barrage coming up with a different map. I can't wait. I'm just I I can. It's one of those games where the moment you say new map, my brain instantly starts brainstorming twenty thirty different ways you could do a different map and and change it up. Like what if what if the map isn't just vertical? What if it's a little more diagonal? So there's a horizontal element to it and all sorts of things. I love this idea because um, this was one of the games that really spoke to me. It's like right at my casual level, enough to engage me and get me into it, but not too hard. And like, I'm I'm super jazzed about that. I hope we get this to the table when it's available and when we're all back in person. Uh, I I think a new map is the perfect idea for an expansion. Um, I I I think it 
it gives you the most uh, variance and most play. Um, I'm glad it's not uh, the the different helpers or the different people that you're playing that is decided to focus on. Um, and, and and Paul has said uh, many times that the map that we have in Barrage is worth studying because there are peculiarities about it. Yes. Uh, that that mean that there are uh, dominant strategies in, in terms of position. Uh, and having a new map that kind of sweeps all that away, uh, the, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze, I believe. It, it's, it's like the, or there's a lot of bang for your buck. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, it reminds me very much of Hansa Teutonica, which the starting map that you get in Hansa Teutonica has this thing where the get more actions action happens to be a really valuable space period on the board. It's like, it's like doubly valuable. And then with the first expansion to that game was a new map and that new map instantly took care of that problem. All of a sudden the way you play the game, even though the rules are pretty much exactly the same, the way you play the game was utterly transformed and all of these kind of pseudo opening moves, opening strategies were just thrown out the window and it became a whole new world again. I, I, I love when games do that. Absolutely. Uh, next up, a new game coming out from a designer named Nick Case called Pilgrim. Uh, it is going to be coming out in 2022. I'm looking at it and it's kind of it's kind of beautiful. The, the monk pieces... That I'm looking yeah, they're at cool. here. Look, they're pretty cool. Oh, don't they look awesome? They do. They look pretty cool. The whole thing, I, I, I like the art of all of it, but it, it looks pretty cool. Gotta say. Yeah, I mean, Harold Liskey is the uh, is the artist, and Harold Liskey is one of the, the great board game artists of, of all time. And they talk about it as having some Moncala aspects to it, which I, mm-hmm. I, love, uh, I love a good Moncala game. And what yeah. you're doing is is you're you're building routes to uh, basically you're building pilgrimages, pilgrimage routes to different shrines and different sites, and uh, I think that's a wonderful, wonderful topic for what looks to be kind of a little a little abstract strategy game ish. But if you theme it well enough, it doesn't feel so abstract strategy. Um, and I know, listen, my a wife... good skin can do that. Yeah. My wife walked the Camino de Santiago um, through Spain, um, and she said it was one of the best experiences of her life. It's something that I've always wanted to do. So I'm way into the, the theming of uh, 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 walking a pilgrimage. Dimitri, what do you, what do you think looking at it? Uh, I'm a little disappointed that for that theme, there's... They are uh, deciding to go with an 18xx or Age of Steam Railroad game rather than uh, the underground uh, or the Tokyo Metro style thing, which to me uh, seems to be much more uh, 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 cohesive with that theme because Mm -hmm. Tokyo Metro and London Underground are about actually transporting people versus building tracks. Uh, but that's a very early and I, I don't think a very fair criticism uh, because it does look beautiful. 
Um, it is a very interesting theme. Uh, and I look forward, I'm a fan of Canterbury Tales. Uh, so I look forward yeah. to playing the game and also telling body stories uh, about the Miller's wife. <laughs> a good one, Dimitri. Uh, that for all those uh, middle English specialists in their in their English degrees, you probably also had a very hearty laugh at that. Um, <laughs> I wonder if it would be as well accepted if it was like a different religion, like if it was called Hajj. You know what I mean? Oh, the Hajj, interesting. And it was like pilgrim- pilgrimages to Mecca. Like I'm, I'm just curious. Interestingly enough. Um, the Camino de Santiago is, is, there are only two pilgrimages that are UNESCO World Heritage Sites, Mm -hmm. all right? Um, UNESCO World World Heritage Sites usually are buildings, places, you know, like firm things. They're not trails, they're not routes. Uh, But the UNESCO World Heritage declared the Camino de Santiago uh, a World Heritage Site. The other one is something called the Kumano Kodo. And that is in this little uh, peninsula on uh, on Honshu, on Japan's main island, that is just mountains and forests and shrines. And the, mm-hmm. the Kumano Kodo is hiking from shrine to shrine. And that's awesome. I'd like to do that. I want to do that so bad, dude. I want to do that, that so. Like- Bad. Yeah, man, sign me up for that one. I'm in on that. You, you, you stay in these little local inns and these little houses, and they give you, you know, these 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 balls of rice wrapped up in seaweed with little with little foodstuffs mm. inside those to to fortify you for the next leg of your journey and and stuff. I'm like, I'm all in on Komodo Koto. Me too. That sounds super cool. Uh, Jake, I do want to say that you just did a tray here. Because your idea of a game about transporting and housing uh, hajis mm-hmm. is amazing. Yeah, oh, uh, well, I there you go. In a heartbeat, um, and and, and <laughs> okay, I, I can say like three ages, you know, um, sure. uh, uh, like ancient, medieval, and modern. Uh, I, I mean, my 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 mind is just flowering so with ideas. We'll workshop it offline and uh, bring it to the bring it to the marketplace as soon as we can. I I I, I think it's fantastic. I, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. He's, well, there you he's, go. He's right. It, it it is a huge, huge undertaking each year to get that many pilgrims into this small little place and organized and fed and you know controlled and all that sort of stuff. That's a good point. Really I can point. see a little cool. bit of Panamax. I can see uh, building hotels. And again, three ages where, you, you know, first it's by foot and horse and ship. Uh, then it's by rail and then it's by air. It, it's an amazing idea. It's brass. It, 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 a ton of things. Cool. And last but not least in the news, we have Libertalia, which is a Stonemeyer Games pirate game. Now, I've talked many times about the fact that there are all these pirate games, and I wish there was one great pirate game, and I've never quite seen it yet. We don't have it. And Libertalia is one of those that was oh, a heartbreaker because it's so close to being a great game but wasn't quite there. Well, guess what? There's a new edition of Libertalia called Winds of Galecrest. Not crazy about the, uh, the that part of the title, but in 2022, Paolo Mori is putting out this uh, new version of it. Uh, that 
evidently is and it's kind of a revised and expanded edition. It's going to have new art. There are 40 different characters per player. There's a reputation system to resolve tiebreakers, which was a little bit of an issue in the in the original game. Um, there's a solo mode. Uh, so, Maddie, listen up. Um, I would love to give this another try because I thought Libertalia was a good but not great game that I wished was 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 better. And Paolo Mori having a second bite at the apple, I hope, hope, hope that he's able to uh, uh, turn that into something great. Um, you know, listen, he did uh, Vasco da Gama, which was, I thought, a pretty darn good game. Ethnos, which, you know, isn't my favorite, but as far as a, a six-player game, it's very competently put together. It's very well designed. So he's a, he's a, he's a very good designer, and uh, I, I just, I, I want my pirate game. I want my pirate game. I don't have a great pirate game, and I'm dying to have one. <laughs> Just I love so you that can you have it, an IP right? that you really want, like a like a theme that you like. Because you're Mister, it doesn't matter what the skin is. So I think that's amazing. Well, it's not that it doesn't matter. Actually, if you if if you really parse my opinion, I actually it actually does matter quite a bit. What it matters though that I need it to be something that is interesting, that doesn't feel old hat, that doesn't feel like a, a, a retread. Right? right, and the fact that we haven't had right. a good pirate game means uh, give me a good pirate game. I would love a good pirate yeah. game. I don't need I don't need another generic fantasy game. Uh, that I don't need. Right, fair enough. That is me, and that is it. For Tom, the... can you do your pirate voice? Uh, in in my current state, <laughs> I think it would be fantastic in your current state. Ah well, let's be seeing what we have here. Holy materia, winds of the gale crest. Yes. <laughs> many, many ships have fallen to the winds of the gale crest. That's that's all I got for you today. That's what a pirate with COVID sounds like. You nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they pretty much all had COVID, which at the time was syphilis. <laughs> um, on to our game review. We are reviewing a game that we have talked about quite a bit on the podcast. Uh, we started talking about Furnace the very first time one of us played the game, and we pretty much haven't really stopped talking about it, but we never gave it a full review. So let's do it. Uh, it is a 2021 game. The designer is Ivan Lashin. The artists are Sergei Dulin, Marta Ivanova, Ilya Konova. Uh, Konovalov and Oleg Yurkov, and there are two more that I do not see here, and the publisher is Arcane Wonders. Jake, I want you to tell me what Furnace is. Okay, I can, I, I'm going to do my best. That's here, what okay? I want you to Let's, do. Yeah, yeah, no, no, here we go. All right, so essentially... Um, you're, it's a, it's a bit of a, um, a money game and a, a, a stock market game, but really what it is, it's, it's a resource management slash bidding game. Good. You're doing and great. you get, yeah, you, you, it's a really interesting mix of a bidding phase and then the resource management following. And then on top of that, it kind of is an engine builder where if you've done those first two phases properly, grows from there um the thing about this without going beat for beat through the rules of it is the is the part where when you're auctioning you can auction to lose because you still get stuff from that loss yes yes like you don't always want to win the card and that is where the complexity for me is 
maybe a bit too hard if i'm being perfectly honest like as the casual gamer that is where my mind falls into the sinkhole like where the complexity of trying to mess up someone else to make them bid more but secretly you just want to lose because you need those resources for the next phase right and i could see that that's genius but slightly outside my grasp where i'm like making smart moves (laughs) if you know what i mean Totally. Um, but so, okay. So, yeah. So, basically, the, the idea is you've got um, – it, it's a pretty simple – like, as far as the the overall, like, like layout of it, it's, it's not crazy. Um, you're, you're only going to have, like, a few pieces to place, minus all the stuff you get later, the resources. And there's only a few cards that get laid out that everybody bids on. And there's only really those two phases of, like, everybody bids on those those cards – and then you either get the resources from losing or you get the card, which then again also either can be used as resources or as part of your building of the engine. Yeah. And it, it's not a very long game either. I mean, the whole thing is like under an hour, if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, uh, you know, as far as as far as like games that it relates to, that's that'll you'll have to be like, oh, it's like this one or like that one, because my brain doesn't work that way. But it feels like one of those games that sort of has a lot of stuff overlapping in other places. Yeah. Um, so, as far as the bidding and the engine building. Yeah. There are, you know, there are a number of cards out in the general center of the board. You start with one card. Yeah. That is the beginning of your factory. And right, that's like your company name, right? That's like who you sort of are as far as the the overlay. Yeah, and each person has one special power that allows them to Mm -hmm. break a rule slightly in the game. And you you have four bidding tokens: a bidding token that says one, one that says two, one that says three, and one that says four. And if if Jake goes first, he can put any one of those bidding tokens down on any card that is available. And right. that is his bid to get that card. Um, and am I mistaken, or are there only four cards available each auction? No, there are many more than four cards. There. Are, oh, there's more? Okay, so there's a detail I had forgotten. All right. No, no, no. It's, it's it, totally fine. Um, but the idea is is that almost uh, uh, these cards either generate resources or yeah. they um, turn resources into money. And money is right. what wins the game at the end. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out which of these cards do I need to get and build and will create synergies in the cards I already have in front of me. And then right. what resources do I need to feed into this machine yeah, of building with these it's a cards? Really beautiful layer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the key is cool. is that if you if I put a 3 down on this tile on this on this card and somebody else puts a four on it, they are going to win that card. But I yep. am going to get three because I bid three. I'm going to get three yep. times the resources on the top of that card. And half of the time, that's exactly what I wanted to have happen. It's the mo- It's a very clever auction manipulation. I, I Like I said, it's slightly beyond my grasp, but I see how cool it is. Uh, it was used in Brian Baru. Yes, it is. Uh, oh, yeah. A game that, uh, Tom, you reviewed with Candace uh, uh, a couple of episodes I ago. One. I definitely and, played that one. Yeah, and, and th- this is, uh, a, for, for me, a better imp- implementation of it uh, because it's more focused. Um, and, and it's a shorter game. Um, 
but it's an interesting example of uh, a shorter game having a perfectly realized mechanism that can be used in bigger games uh, that uh, combine that mechanism with the Brian Bertel area control, for example. Um, so there's many uses for this game in addition to enjoying it on its own. Absolutely. Yeah, and in Brian Baru, what, uh, what Dimitri was talking about is the fact that you have cards in your hand, and the cards, yeah. and there's only one card of each number, and they go from 1 to 25-ish, somewhere around there. Um, and when you play a card, somebody, the next person is going to play either a card that is higher or lower, uh, bidding to be the person who takes the reward, who captures this location in, in Ireland, and so on and so forth. But in this game, it's it's kind of even more elegant in that you only have a a bit of one, a bit of two, a bit of three, and a bit of four, and that's it. And if somebody has yeah, placed, it really their, boils it down. Yeah, and if somebody placed their bit of two on a on a card, and you want that card, you can't bid two. You have to bid a different number than they do. And if yeah. you put a bid on a card already, you can't put a second bid. On that card, like if you bid one on a card, somebody bids two. You can't put your three on that card. You you so the rules are super simple, but they create. It, it, I love when a game has such a simple, simple concept, and yet the ramifications of that concept strategically are fairly immense. They they're yeah, it's very complex. I agree. Yeah, because you may realize, uh, for instance. At the beginning of the game, you may realize there is one tile here. There's one card here in the center that I really, really, really want to get. But do I just place my four on it right away? Because if I place my four on it, I'm getting that card. No question about it. But do I need to place my four on it? Holding on, uh, because later in the round, as each person is playing one tile, one tile, one, uh, one bid, one bid, one bid, if you're the only one with a four left, that basically means you can have anything. And you can you can really disrupt other people's plans. So knowing when to bid your big one, when when to bid your little one, there will be cards in the last go around that no one has put a bid on, and you'll realize, oh my god, I could get this card for free. It's not really fitting into my plans too much, but getting another card into my engine could pay off later on, right? It gives me another avenue where, whereby I might be able to generate the, that important, those important money rewards. And then the other thing is, is that um, it's just money, and it's just money at the end of the game. So there are definitely divergent strategies that emerge from people who are trying to make a little money each and every round of the game and win that way. Versus people who are trying to build the perfect engine so that they slam a ton of money at the end of the game, but have earned almost nothing in the first couple rounds of the game, which is another really which feels to me like a, an, a crazy undertaking, considering you only have four turns to do that in. Like whenever I think about games where you're engine building, I, I yeah. always feel like if I only had five more turns, <laughs> I could get this all together. But they just you just gotta like bing bang boom it out, and otherwise. You, you, I mean, that's another reason this game is maybe a little bit more for me than I'd like, because in those four turns, I don't see it. Like, I need more more opportunities, but you, they don't build it that way. And, and we discussed the auction, but the engine building is also crunchy in an interesting way. Uh, uh, Tom, I've only played the variant where you can't change the order 
yes. uh, of the cards. Uh, I, I think it's the only way to play this game. I agree. Uh, I, I think it's too easy if you can just rearrange them. Uh, but if you can't rearrange them, if you are stuck with the order that you have, that you have, then when you get the cards and what cards you get, get and how you place them becomes a very, very interesting, almost pipeline-like mm -hmm, uh, puzzle. Mm -hmm. But again, a simple one. Just like the bidding, it's simple conceptually, but really crunchy and interesting and challenging in its execution. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, in a lot of ways, this game teaches people who are new to gaming how to play heavy economic games. You know, in, in video games, there are those... Um, those learning levels where all you're doing is learning the mechanics of how to play oh, the sure. game and all that sort of stuff. Buttons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is that's like right, the tutorial level, the first level. Yeah, yeah, this is like a tutorial level for games like Arkwright and Demacher and and all these other games because it it teaches you the basic principles. Like, oh, here's here's bidding, and here is a, we're gonna boil it down into its smallest components. And here are the decisions you have to make when it goes into bidding. Here is engine building. And here is in the simplest way possible to show you the implications of decision making in terms of engine building. And I, I think it and you know, and here you is know, converting engine into scoring, right? I think I think that on the one hand I agree with you because it is the, the such a simple simplistic simplified version of those mechanics but as like a casual gamer yeah. I'm not sure this game does that. I don't think of this game as a gateway. Mm. Like if I hadn't heard of mechanics of, of of any of these this game might intrigue me but I don't think I'd like play it and then realize how to do that all very well because right. it's still pretty it's still pretty thick or anyway for me. Yeah. No, it is not um it is not exactly a light game. But it does it plays in only an hour. It is very simple to teach. That's true. So it, it's it, it's that weird it's that weird place which we're we're going to talk about in our member segment in just a few minutes where we talk about can you have a can you have a deep game that is a short game, right? Can you have where where does where does depth disappear in terms of simple in terms of short in terms of all of that like where 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 do we where do we lose the magic yeah yep uh just like the bidding chips are just numbered one two three four and really easy to interpret uh the uh uh cards are very well designed. It's very easy to look at them uh, and see exactly what you need to operate them and exactly what they do for you. Um, each of the cards you can upgrade or you can decide not to upgrade. Uh, the upgrade is really fairly simple to understand. But again, that simplicity leads to crunchy decisions about what mm -hmm. to upgrade, when to upgrade. Is it worth it to spend the resources to upgrade this card uh, or I can spend the resources in a more efficient way uh, in, in some other way? Um, and there's no extra bits 
that aren't included just for show. Uh, it, everything is simple but leads to interesting decision-making and interesting gameplay. Well, we haven't played the, the Kickstarter version with the seven-foot miniatures, uh, but uh, yeah, no. Uh, Tom, you're the seven-foot miniature, <laughs> uh, so that's, uh, y- y- you know... Uh, is there one actually? No, there is. There is no. It, it, this is such a. <laughs> it's. It, it is such the anti-Kickstarter game. It is so, uh, so simply put together. I mean, it's. There are some cards in the box. There are some wooden wooden discs of four different sizes because they they don't just rely on the numbers. The size of the disc gets bigger if you're the, between the one, the two, the three, and the four. Um, yeah. And, and there are a couple little resources right there's the 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 coal the steel the nuclear and the upgrade tokens and that's all there is in the game it is is, Uh, it's i I want to say something about the theme of the game please uh because it, it 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 comes on like uh your 19th century manufacturers and this is an assembly line of a kind it could be brass Uh, right it could be arc right yes but uh uh I took patent law, uh, and uh, the definition of utility patent, the actual definition, uh, statutory constitutional definition of what a utility patent is, is a new and useful process, machine, article of manufacturing, or composition of matter. This is a game about utility patents. I guess it is. Ha! Interesting. Thematically. Interesting. Uh, so there's even that, that its theme also has a usefulness, <laughs> uh, which is, of course, for utility patents, they're all about being useful. Right. It, there's a lot of thought that's packed into a tiny container, a little box. How much does it cost, Tom? Like um, 40 bucks, I think. Is it? Is it really that much? Hold on a second. Yeah, I think it's forty bucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is forty bucks. I wish it wasn't forty bucks. Why is it forty bucks? It shouldn't be. That should be twenty. Tw- you think it know. should be twenty? Uh, listen, I'm okay yeah. with. I'm okay with even thirty. It's just. It's just. Very, there's very little in the game. There's very little to it. So, but I guess. I guess there has been a little bit of price expansion. You know, like uh, we were talking just the other day about hegemony and that. The $60 price point seems so reasonable now because so much of Kickstarter is 90 100 120 bucks uh, starting prices. Um, all of a sudden, 60 feels like a bargain, whereas it used to be 40 to $60 is what you pay for a, a big and heavy game. And for a lighter game, for about an hour-long game, you'd pay 20 to 30 right? So yeah. Well, or maybe that maybe that isn't maybe that's the online discount pricing as opposed to the friendly game store pricing, which would always be around forty or so. So I'll maybe with, well, they say that forty is the new twenty. So I'll withdraw the comment. So the fact of the matter is, is that this is a very good game. If you want to play something that is, you know, has a little meat on the bones that feels a little like uh, like you're not just marking time and plays in an hour. That's a that's a pretty good sweet spot. I, I want a I want a meteor hard decision game that plays in an hour. I want that badly, and I'm very very happy with, that I got Furnace. Uh, and, and and there's no busy work. Nope. There's no 
sense of the game getting in your way just to create a longer, more difficult experience. Yep. Uh, and it's also very interactive. Uh, even though the you're only building your own engine, yep. uh, that bidding process yeah, gets the you into the face of the players. The yeah, bidding, bidding yeah, is almost always punches in the nose, right? That's what it is. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I, I think so, Jake. What is your what is your final verdict on Furnace? Because I think Dimitri and I, my my final verdict is I very much like it, but it's one of the games I wish I could grasp by the throat better, and yeah. I'm not sure how many times I'd have to play it before I felt like I was playing it the way it was meant to be played. Mm. But I can see the way it was meant to be played, right. and it's very attractive to me. Good. Like it's one of the games that makes me wish I wasn't just a casual gamer, but but a little bit more hardcore, so that I could play this one the way it's supposed to go. Because it really is really great reduction of all these amazing mechanics and things. Uh, as far as the look of it, I personally am not drawn. I mean, the art is is quite beautiful, but I'm not I'm not super drawn into this this skin per se. But uh, it does work and to dimitri's point the whole thing does sort of you know synergize um i i, I like it i, I mean, like it and i wish it, i were better at it would it kill them to put one dragon on even a single card that's what i'm saying that's all tom you know me so well right that's all i'm trying to say just I mean, give me one flaming sword or like a laser gun with a scope or something the guy in the top hat why can't he be a dwarf yeah why couldn't they make this like the same everything the same but like steampunk right right I'd be I'd be drawn in a lot more by that, but then again, we've gone over the fact that I'm a sucker for a skin, so I can appreciate what it is at its heart, and I think it's great. I think people should. everything everything I hate um, about modern and board I think game it's just on the other side of the casual gamer line. Everything I hate about modern board game theme, theming is exactly what you embrace, Jake. That's that's so awful. So <laughs> I know awful. Okay. <laughs> Dimitri, what's your, what's your final verdict That's on Furnace? It's horrible. It's so bad. Uh, it, it's really good. Um, it, it's a type of game that we don't often play at Game Brain, and there are reasons for that. Uh, I would certainly not recommend this game to Ben, because this is exactly the kind of game that Ben uh, is feels is very dangerous, because Jake, uh, you, uh, uh, you say that you 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 want to get a few plays uh, uh, in before you really master it, and, and this is the kind of game that people might want to play over and over and over, and then you won't get to play Icky or Barrage or 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 or, or, or City Hall, um, and, and and that would be a, a real shame. But for a lunch hour game, it's terrific. Uh, Tom, I have to agree with Jake. Uh-oh. Uh, as much as I respect the theme Don't you of do it. patterns Don't you you do know, it. and utility patterns, I feel that this game cries out for a reskin. Oh, my God. And, and, and let yeah. me tell you why. Oh, no. Uh, the, I don't buy <laughs> that whole keeping the order of the machinery the same. Uh, because in a factory, you should be able to move machines around all the time. But playing it without the order-specific rule makes no sense to me. I feel that there is a re-theme 
where it would be natural to understand why that order needs to be in place. Uh, that doesn't perhaps have anything to do with manufacturing, uh, but has to do with something more interesting. Uh, I feel kind of like, remember when Trey, after playing Crystal Pal Palace, said, I wish those same mechanisms would be used in like a uh, college sports recruiting game. Yes. I, I, I feel this, uh, a, a genius game oh hiding inside this very good one. Uh, with You just want some sharks with some lasers on their it, heads. It That's needs to want. be set in the world of Ian M. Banks' culture series. Each one of the cards is a different uh, alien culture, and they need to be placed in the crib. <laughs> like, uh, oh you my know, God. actually, I don't like Ian M. Banks' uh, culture series for what? a number of cultural reasons. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a good future. Uh, I, I, I think Ian M. Banks and Ian Banks is a very grim writer, uh, and, and, and I don't want to be in his head. I'm sorry he's dead. Okay, uh, listen. Uh, and there won't be yeah. any more of those books. But <laughs> thank you for bringing up a particular bête noir of mine. Uh, and uh, Tom, we should do a special episode uh, about Ian and Banks's culture series. And uh, I mean, one of his one of the be generated from it. One of the books is the player of games. So I mean, it it would kind of need to be need seems to be like it's point. yeah. The second yep. book, actually. Exactly, yeah, right after Conceded Phlebas. Um, all right, let's move on to our member-specific segment. And let me just tell people, this might be a shorter episode than usual because um, I... Yeah, we're... I don't feel the best. Let's just say that. I'm doing I'm doing fine. Well, I'm, I'm we certainly thank not you so much, today. Tom, for, like, mustering your, your strength to make this happen. Yeah, it's really, it's really great even just to talk. I told you, I, I need... To be hanging out with you guys, I need it, and I get this is, it. I and feel the same way. Even though we're not in the same room, I'm still hanging out with you guys, and it is a joy and a pleasure, and it's a bomb to my soul. I want you to know that. It's so great. Well, uh, again, thanks for for struggling through what you're going through to make it happen. No big deal. Um, games Ben doesn't want to play. One of my favorite topic titles <laughs> I've ever ever had. It's really great, Dimitri. Thank you for giving us the topic. He talked about not wanting to buy certain games, not wanting to have certain games because his more casual gamer friends would only want to play those games. And he gets stuck in these patterns of having to play these games that are good and are and for those people are addictive and powerful and meaningful and and really satisfying. But for him it's a trap, right? He calls it the Sagrada effect. We're talking about good games that don't become quite deep games, right? So what are we talking about? What are we talking about? What makes a good game? What makes a deep game? That's, I think, let's, let's just start there. Let's, uh, let's start there and see, and see where we're at. What is a good game that isn't a deep game. And then there's there's probably tons of games that are like that, right? Also, are we where are we saying or are we begging the question that those are mutually exclusive? Because there 
there's good games that are deep and there's good games that aren't in my opinion oh of course of course no 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 i'm not I, i'm i'm literally okay. trying to say right, that. Good. yeah no i think i think the venn diagram of good and deep has i mean as a deep gamer or as a person that likes heavier yeah. games let's say heavier yeah as a person that likes heavier yeah. games i think there's a ton of overlap on those two things but yeah okay good what i want to know is i want to know the parts of the venn diagram that don't overlap the- uh, i have two Fair. suggestions please uh, okay the the first one is that a deep game um has a, a number of overlapping mechanisms. Uh, and uh, uh, a simpler game has one or two. Right. Uh, and the second thing is that a deep game fights you. A, a deep game prevents you from doing what you want. Interesting. Uh, like Age of Steam is actively opposing you so you're not just playing the other players you're also playing against the game that's throwing up obstacles in your way that you have to deal with uh, and and have to work around or 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 have to push through Um, all right let's let's take these two points so starting with with good games um or deep games, rather. Deep games are have um, numerous mechanisms. I think that that is largely true, except that a lot of times when we talk about elegance in games, we talk elegance in games to some degree is depth without complexity. Right? Wouldn't you say? I agree with that. That's well said. I totally, I, I, I like the way you put that. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, an elegant game is one that is deep with 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 while still having very few moving parts. That's right. Maximizing working with. Yeah. So a lot of our favorite games are Dimitri, what do you think about very that? Very elegant. Well, for me elegance um is uh, a concept I understand and appreciate but don't necessarily enjoy. Mm. Uh my favorite games, like The Gallerist, uh, are not terribly elegant. Uh, they're complex and they're themed uh, extremely tightly. There, there's a thematic connection between the mechanisms uh, and the reality that the game uh, represents. Uh, but reality is complicated and contradictory. Reality is not elegant. Uh, so the games that it I really be. love, uh, Arc Nova is another example. Arc Nova has a very elegant mechanism of the, uh, uh, competing, uh, opposite tracks. It's not an elegant game. They're like 240 unique cards. Uh, and some of them interact with others. Others don't, uh, Terraforming Mars is not an elegant game. Those are the games I tend to uh, gravitate towards uh, because there's a richness of mechanisms, a very tight connection to the theme, and a lot of even contradiction uh, in, in how those mechanisms work together. But I appreciate elegant games. 
very much. Well, let's leave elegance aside then and come back to it later, because I do think that um, if, when, if when we're talking about good versus deep or pleasurable versus deep or engaging versus deep, I think elegance is the, you know, is Alexander's sword uh, cutting apart the, uh, the, the Gordian it knot. It squares the circle. Yeah. yeah. Right? I think it, so, it, in some ways. I, so, I got you. But, uh, but deep games being uh, complex machines, being uh, machines that have a number of different mechanisms that interact together and by their very complexity become less predictable and uh, harder to manage, I think. It, it, would that be a fair representation of what you were saying, Dimitri? Yes. Yeah. I think that's largely true. And I, I could see for casual gamers, Jake, uh, that, yeah. does that sound like work to you? Does that sound less less pleasure you and know, more work? It, uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know that I could say that across the board, but probably I'm leaning that way. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there are examples where that's for sure true. And I'm sure if I had a you know a brain that didn't forget everything the next second, that I could come up with examples where it wasn't so true. I mean... But yes, you know what? In general, yes, I think I think I can get on board with that. Yeah, because I I do think that there is uh, the interesting thing about uh, heavier games is that for different people uh, they could be work or you know like Dimitri said earlier when we were talking about the uh, the, the Beatles documentary, um, work is a greater pleasure than pleasure. What was it, Dimitri? Uh, it's Noel Coward who said it, and he he put it the best way I know. Work is more fun than fun. Yes. Yeah. And I, that I, is, you know, I feel that like... is a deep game. When a deep game is working for certain people, that's what it is. It is. It is. It creates the work that is more fun than fun. I think for for and trying to like really sit in the cut of uh, a casual gamer here, it, it's it's not enjoyable for me yeah. to do the work of a really well crafted game because it, I don't know. I, I guess I guess there's something about the enjoyment that I could get from that should I play it ten times, twenty, however many times the casual gamer would have to play one of those deep ones to really grasp it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just it's not. I that's not a, a draw for me. Personally, right. uh, that act, that level of accessibility and the requirements demanded is just slightly more than what I'm looking for when I sit down to putz around with my friends, play a game. Your your juice. Though to, I appreciate it. Yeah, your juice to squeeze ratio is off. I exactly. Get. It's and and it's not that I don't see where it is. It's just that I don't want to squeeze that hard. Like I, it's it's not it's not worth it for me. And and in that respect. So yeah, uh, so for you, let me ask you a question. Do you ever have you ever yeah. gotten into doing jigsaw puzzles? Oh sure, but that's work. It's work, but there's still a ratio that walks the line. I mean, I've never done those two thousand jigsaw puzzles because then again, like what the hell am I doing? But there's a level where it clicks, and I'm like enjoying the mental energy I have to put in. Right. So 20 pieces and under is your preferred size. I like it four. I like a four piece puzzle. that <laughs> comes with a happy meal and you just, you just got to get the edges of the corners, right? Uh, um, 
You know, it's interesting because it really is a, is it's such a funny sliding scale to try and put yourself on. And, and it sort of does it for you when you start playing these games. Like, yeah. you could consider yourself a very intelligent person. But until you started playing some of these games, it really tests where you actually are. Like, it's an interesting metric to see how much mental energy you're going to have to invest to to reap the benefits of these brilliant things these people have created. And... It's like with, with okay, so for the that eight hour documentary on my favorite band of all time, many others uh, would agree. It's like, do I do I want to put in that work? Some movies I love to put the work in and would poo poo somebody who said, "Oh my god, I had to pay attention to enjoy it," as opposed to being just spoon fed, you know, machine guns going off. Right. But there is a level where I find my threshold, and after that point then it isn't worth the squeeze. And I'm just like, even if I can see that it could be for someone, for me, I'm like, no, I'm out. I don't need that. Right. I don't need that. I'd rather just listen to the music. Do you know what I mean? No, 100%. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. what I'm trying to get at is, 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 are we all the same, but we have different scales? In other words... Um, I think we're all on that same sliding scale, and where we find ourselves defines how deep a game is we're going to get into, for sure. Yeah, because at a certain point, for everybody, a limited amount of work is pleasurable because it's a challenge and it's interesting and you're trying to solve a puzzle, as it were. And and that is something I think built into most human beings is something that can be pleasurable. But then at a certain point, it becomes too hard and it becomes kind of self-defeating, right? It becomes more frustrating than it is fun. And once you... Absolutely. And I think... That can be applied to just about anything in life that one endeavors towards or enjoys. I mean, like, I like to go for a nice hike, but I'm not climbing Everest. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing. It's just where do you want to, where do you find yourself on that scale? For me, it's the second element of the Venn diagram that I mentioned that really annoys me and frustrates me. It's when the game is fighting you. Mm. It, it, uh-huh. it, it's when the game design is actively preventing you uh, from achieving a certain goal or, or, or doing what you want. Uh, and again, Age of Steam. Uh, Trey uh, came up with Age of Regrets um, as, a, uh, as the title for our uh, dis- uh, Discord uh, for Age of Steam online. Uh, precisely for that reason. Uh, I, yeah. I, I think... People like you, Tom, people like Trey, people like Elder, um, the, the people like Jennifer, uh, the, the, the real Ben, the really heavy gamers, they enjoy uh, games that continuously get into their way. A little antagonistic uh, almost in their design. Yes. Like, oh, uh, you want to build that track? Well, sorry, you can only lay down three tiles. Or hey, yeah. uh, you you took out uh, that uh, the, you sold that stock. You're gonna have to pay dividends. You're in the red for the fifth. Well, you time. know that is a that for some for like you said for many people who are of that level that is the allure is that challenge and that affront of like here it is it's really hard we know we're being really hard see what you can do see for me the games I, I feel the games that we're going to be discussing they're appealing and enjoyable in part because they largely avoid that 
Uh, they allow the players to antagonize each other uh, or be antagonistic towards each other, but they don't throw up obstacles or too many obstacles in the path of the individual play player doing what she wants to do. You know, I think it's so interesting because the oh, go ahead. Sorry, Tom. What no, go ahead. No, no, go you, you, sir. No, I was just saying again the way the way this plays out. The same theme plays out across the board in in every you know walk of life and kind of art. I mean, even in books where you start reading and it's it's just so dense and asks so much of the reader, which. God bless him. You ask whatever you want as the author, but like there is a breaking point where I'm, I'm not, you, you lost me. Like I'm not prepared to put in that amount to meet you that far. You know what I mean? And I, I, it's, I could see how it could be fun for those people, but for, for, for me, it, it it's a pretty clear line in the sand where I can see, Oh, I don't want to do this. Like I just, it's a turnoff yeah. Yeah. that, that, that it's just, it's no good, you know? And I would say the one thing that I want to uh, adjust to what Dimitri said, which I think, Dimitri, your point is very well uh, articulated, um, is that me personally, I actually do not love necessarily games that get in the way of me. Um, I, I've said several times... That challenge doesn't thrill you? Well, no. I, 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 it's just it, there's an adjustment I want to make to the statement, which, oh, okay. which is that I've said several times that lately... Vittle Asserta is starting to lose me a little bit. That his games are getting very, very Baroque to the point where I'm not quite enjoying them as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. Because I don't love, in particular, playing a game that is throwing roadblocks uh, up to me all the time. What I like very much right. is playing a game that's rules throw me into conflict with the players of the game. I love that. And when yeah, we, I, I hear you. That that is a difference. That is a difference. And when we talk about Age of Steam, um, let's let's make no bones about it. The conflict in Age of Steam is the other players. Uh, Age of Steam does not throw up too many roadblocks. I mean, there there is there is income compression, and there 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 are some things that it does uh, for sure. But the majority of it is that it is designed in such a way that it is putting, you know, it is putting four four starving men into a pit and enough food for two of them, right? That's really what, that's really the design of the game. That's uh, let, let me let me suggest uh, that the real difference between on Mars, say, and Age of Steam is steam that the roadblocks that uh, Age of Steam throws up at you and the challenges and the friction uh, it gives you is very thematic. It's what you would expect from railroads. But a lot of the roadblocks are on Mars seem to be arbitrary. And, and they have to be arbitrary because we haven't colonized Mars yet. Uh, so it, it, it's entirely up to the designer uh, to say, these are the roadblocks I will deal with. I feel that, Tom, because as Paul uh, so elegantly pointed out, you, you, you like uh, grounded plus games. Yeah. That for you, game opposition and game friction 
as long as it makes sense within the theme, is perfectly acceptable and enjoyable. And game opposition and roadblocks that feel arbitrary, uh, like for me, what I experienced with Moon Lake, uh, are completely unenjoyable. Maybe, uh, maybe. I, yeah. Like Lisboa, though, is a is a Vitalisert game that is about rebuilding after a natural disaster, and I f- find the implementation of it virtually impenetrable. I enjoy mm-hmm. figuring out the puzzle of it, but to me, it is less a game I'm playing against people and more a two thousand piece jigsaw puzzle that I'm trying to work my way through. And it's 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 pleasure. which I'm sure you've done in real life. It's pleasure of a different sort. Yes, it's it's pleasure of a, it's pleasure of a different sort. And for me, it is a lesser pleasure. I, I've said many times that that multiplayer solitaire is is something that is killing uh, me in games. I don't. I I want more interaction, not less. I want games that that throw my decisions into other people's paths, as opposed to the game itself creating the barriers to my paths. That was a great book title, by the way. You just threw out a lesser pleasure. I think you should write that. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's great. Yeah, oh, that is a wonderful book title. Like, like a Gary Steingart novel. Or, <laughs> lesser or, pleasure. Or a Nabokov novel, or a John Updike novel. Uh, yeah. Th- thank you for pointing that out. Um, uh, uh, Tom, uh, Ben uh, says that we should have a yes and attitude in this podcast. Uh, so let me say <laughs> yes, and you're completely wrong. Ah, <laughs> about right. I was about to joke yes game. and go after. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> okay. No, I so, think Dimitri knows all about improv. He knows. Does, <laughs> let, does let, he though? Let's talk about the actual games that we're talking about. Perfect. Which are games that are uh, uh, that have fewer mechanisms. Right. Fewer roadblocks, but are serious about design um, and uh, perfecting the mechanisms uh, and, and making sure those mechanisms are tied to the theme yeah. uh, in, in a pleasurable way. So people actually enjoy playing them, but don't feel like they're being spoon fed something. Though I will say that I, I think we may find as we look through some of these that uh, some of these games very much are where the game provides roadblocks for you. Uh, so it, he called it the Sagrada effect. So we will start with Sagrada. Um, Sagrada, Azul. Um, I think we could also put Ricochet Robots into this category. These are oh god, you would find a way to break up ricochet robots. Hey now, let's not it is, it is, on the ricochet robots. I love that game. It's 100% a puzzle game, just like the other two are. It absolutely, is. it's a logic puzzle game. It and is, and I love it. And that's what they and that's what all three of these games are. They are games where you are trying to find a pattern in a in a huge wilderness. Uh, and you're trying to find the the ultimate pattern. In the case of Ricochet Robots, we're all doing it simultaneously, trying to come up with the, with with the single answer. And in Azul and Sagrada, we are trying to bid on the little piece of the puzzle that we are going to put into place on our particular board uh, this round, and then continue on forward until the until the full pattern emerges. Right? That's really what those games are. 
But when you look at Sagrada, you put an overlay into your stained glass window, right? It's, it basically, it is you're taking these colored dice and you're filling in a stained glass window. And the overlay tells you what you have to do in various places. Like this square must have a number one in it. This square must have this in it. Then this square must have that in it, right? They're, they're very, very specific about what they need. To the way Dimitri was discussing this, those are in-game roadblocks. They're no different, really, than the, the roadblocks of On Mars or, or anything else. They are there to stymie you and to complicate what would otherwise be a simpler task. Agreed, actually. Yeah, I, but I think we, that's a very good but point. But do we consider those like... But are those like the antagonistic roadblocks that he was kind of mentioning, where the game is really like, let's see what you can do? Or is that more just boundaries that sort of, you know, challenge? I think they are antagonistic because when I'm playing Sagrada, I'm like, oh, God, if only I didn't have this one space. This one space is killing me because the game is telling me that I have to have this. And if I put that there, it's going to ruin everything, right? It's, it's a, it really is a functional uh, frustration roadblock. But, well, there you go. There but you but go. by the way, it's important because it, it, it raises the complexity of the game and makes it not too simple. A, 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 a puzzle that is too simple, your, your four-piece puzzle that you mentioned, Jake, is inordinately unpleasurable because it's over, <laughs> it's over in two seconds, right? So once again, this also gets to the matter of length. All the games that we're discussing are one hour or less, really. They're really one-hour games mm-hmm. maximum. And while that's a feature... That is also a flaw because there is a connection between time and immersion, between time and depth, right? Wouldn't we say? Absolutely. Absolutely agree. And something that you've said multiple times to me, which I've internalized, is that time is the one resource you can't get back. Yep. And so if you you can you know enjoy something, but it takes too long to do it, that, that's a deterrent. It really is. But, but there's also a teach-to-play ratio that if it takes 20 to 30 minutes to teach a game, uh, you kind of want to play that game for three hours uh, rather than take 20 to 30 minutes to teach a game and only play it for an hour and then having to go through another teach. Um, I think it would be a really funny like SNL sketch if it took like two hours to teach the game, but like fifteen minutes to play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that yes, would be hilarious. Yes, that would be funny. Uh, Tom, um, one of the games on my list is Race Arcana. Oh, which to me, uh, Jake, you would love this. It, 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 it's a fantasy themed furnace uh, without some of the interesting bidding mechanisms but what you you're you're building a, a fantasy dragon which is spells cauldrons machine yeah i remember talking about this and looking at it i, I haven't played it but i remember and i agree with you it, it's got the, it's you know that's my wheelhouse as far as stuff i like yeah and, and I, thought, I played it with matt mm. I, I thought it was a fine game i thought it did what it advertised tom you do not like it <laughs> 
and I w- I'm wondering why. Well, I I thought that the topic here was games Ben doesn't want to play because they're good games that his friends want to play all the time. They're just not deep. So I'm not sure why you're bringing up Race Arcana, which is just because I think damn, it's a good game. Slam, awful, slam. just awful. Karate, Obviously. Karate. Um. Yeah. Listen. So. Uh, so if you want me to talk to once again prosecute race arcana i don't think race arcana is a bad game i don't (laughs) i I definitely don't think it's for me the theme does nothing for me so that's strike one uh strike two is that it's a race game and race games are tricky things because if you are playing a race game and you are out of the blocks you're two steps behind a competently played race game means you've already lost. So that's fair. That's fair. That is a fair. No, you're right. Because of the random start. Because of the, because of the random start or because of just, just fortune or because I, this person has a card that is attacking me and I am unable to draw the, a single card that is able to withstand that or change that or change that state. So, uh, but that actually brings up uh, a point I want to make about the games that we're talking about. Good. Because they're shorter. They can be meaner and more chaotic and more variable and swingier. And that's okay for me because they're short. Yeah, and I, I don't have to sit there for three hours after losing the game in the first or second round. I, I can just sit there for 45 minutes. Yeah, and then move on. Yeah, I guess that that the sunk cost uh, problem of a shorter game is lessened, right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons that uh, these games are popular. Yeah. Uh, what's the next game on your list? Um, well, since we're on this topic, uh, let's talk about the Carl Chuddick games. Let's talk about games that are very random. It is random to the point where a you would not really do well to make a two, three-hour game like this. Carl Chuddick, okay. did, Carl Chuddick did Glory to Rome, and he did another game called Innovation. And I'll introduce a third topic, which a third game, which is not a Carl Chuddick game at all, which is Wiz War. I love these games. Let me say this right off the bat. I love Glory to Rome, I love Innovation, and I love the original Wiz War. I do not like the remake of Wiz War at all, but I love the original Wiz War. And these are wildly chaotic games that... Tom, I want to jump in and say that Wiz War was the very first board game I played with you. Uh, is that right? Back before there was game night, even. Wow. Yeah, you played my original wow. edition, my, like, my super ancient version of Wiz War, yeah. Yeah, with the with the it's like That's paper great. paper cards. It was it's it's awful. It's wonderfully awful. I still have it. I'm never getting rid of it. It is it is a gem. I feel like moving forward, you should always ask the guest what the first game they played was. So we all have have said that. Well, but but first game or first first modern first game since adults. I mean, not not first Monopoly. I mean, like first Euro, first the entry point into this hobby. It's a good question. It's a good question. Or maybe the first just game we played together. Or, yeah, there you go. The first game you played I, I think that's a that's good, a good question. question. It is. I, I'd like to know because I know mine, and I now I know Dimitri's. Jake, so that's Jake, very what, is, what is the first game you played with us? I know what it is. We played Battlestar. That's right. Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica. And it blew my effing mind. 
I was like, well, you know, it's not very often that you see an entire new, like, modality of enjoyment. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just a totally new thing. It would be like if somebody came and said, oh, have you seen this? And it, it blew my mind. No joke. That That's was why the, I keep that, coming back. I, ca- I came over and I taught that game to you and to Maddie, and I had never met either of you before. And It I was think- so great, dude. It was so great. Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah, that. no, I, I do. I, I'm very curious. It doesn't have to be a whole sure. thing, but I'm curious what all of the Game Brainers, uh, you know, first first times were. But getting back to Glory to Rome innovation and so on yes, and so forth. Yes, back to Glory to they Rome, are, of course. Uh, like, Glory to Rome is a fascinating game that, that I can't get enough of. Um, you ha- you have, or It is a card game in which the cards vary in their power from almost powerless to supremely uh supremely important and powerful and you're finding these connections and these little combinations that you never knew existed before and suddenly you go from being in last place to dominating the game in the in the span of two rounds it has attacking in it where you're essentially wailing on other people's resources and and cards and so on and so forth it feels it should be a total luck fest and yet, it feels violently strategic and and competitive, and I love it. It's chaotic and swingy, but it's not completely random. Yeah. It, it's like you you feel like you're constantly dealing, managing the chaos, or trying to. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And uh, what's really interesting about that uh, game for me is that it was one of the first games I played, if not the first game that I played, where every card had multiple uses. Yes, exactly. It it, it could be used to build a building. It could be used to save a resource. Um, It's a hand management and engine building game simultaneously. And it's really compact, but it, it's awesome in, in, in how it really serves both those mechanisms. Yeah. While, that, while serving engine building is, building is the, the one I wish I could be better at. That's my one wish. If I could take like a, like a learning annex and <laughs> take a weekend and like come back way doper, it would definitely be engine building because it, I'm attracted to the, the, the whole thing of it, but I can see it. It's just, it's like right outside my grasp. It's so frustrating. It is. It is a tricky thing, um, and and each engine builder is its own puzzle, right? It's its own. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's its own thing. Um, innovation, another called Shadow game, is a similarly deep and amazing game in which cards are used in a variety of different ways, uh, but is also very swingy. Like you can put together an engine based on only two or three cards that suddenly is wiping other people out and just bringing them down to their knees. Um, and a few turns later, somebody else has an engine that makes your engine completely irrelevant again and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so these swingy games are much better in the one-hour length, right, for the exact reasons Dimitri was mentioning. And and so I don't mind swingy if they're, if they're short enough, right? But when, once they get too long, that becomes right. a big problem. Dimitri, what other games did you want to talk about? Uh, I wanted to talk about Five Tribes, uh, which is uh, a, a, a wonderful interactive puzzle uh, where you're trying to 
connect camel caravans in the desert. Uh, to me, it's a boiled down, simplified uh, version of games like uh, uh, Fresh Fish. Uh, you, you're not worried about delivering anything, but you are very much fighting other players and in, in competition and in conflict with other players and in direct conflict with other players uh, while at the same time solving a puzzle. Are you talking about Through the Desert or are you talking about Five Tribes? Uh, you know, I think I'm talking about Through the Desert. Yes. Okay, good. Yes. Sorry about that. No worries. All good. Yes, Through the Desert is is actually, uh, I have a topic here, which is one-hour games we rarely mention that we should be talking more about, and Through the Desert is on that list. It is like multiplayer Go. You are building caravans. Ooh. You're building caravans of of uh, camels across the desert that are blocking other caravans and, and demarcating territory. Um, so much like Go, you're you're changing the scope of the space and the battle. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful Reiner Kinsia game for sure. Sounds cool. It's amazing. I I think Bus it fits into that category as well. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it is. It's a puzzle game um, where you're you're using these very limited resources uh, to to try and gain any points now. I would say the thing about Bus, though, is that Bus fails the test in the sense that it is very much a game in which the rules get in your way. Wouldn't you say? Well, but I expect that from Splatter. Yes, yes, yes. You, we you know, <laughs> I, I expect Splatter from Oh, Splatter. So, and Bus is a, a, a one-hour, maybe 90-minute punishment rather than a four-hour or five-hour Food chain magnet punishment. But it very much uh, is I, a game I, I, where I where you can win with three points. I have three points. Oh my goodness! There's no way we're getting there. <laughs> it is it is wow. a a game in which the ability to stop somebody from get, gaining points is often much greater than the ability for someone to gain points. So that that's right. that's one of the interesting things about that. But yeah, that's a, that's a good point there. Um, so I want to talk about. I have two more things that I that I want to talk about. One is some some one hour games that are rarely mentioned but should be brought up more because I think they're really great games, great examples of uh, these sorts of games. And then I do want to talk a little bit about elegant games that share a lot of traits with with the games that we're talking about, but somehow uh, uh, I believe escape the Ben's jail, as it were, and become okay. and become games that while they are simple, while they are uh, easy to grok, easy to understand, they're able to go longer, they're able to play longer, they're able to be more because they, they, they've somehow figured out that way to be deep and yet still good and simple. So let's talk about, let's talk about cool. one-hour games that are rarely mentioned. Dimitri, one of your favorite games, Modern Art plays in one hour and it is just an absolute gem of a bidding game in which there are so many different ways you are bidding on paintings and you are making money by buying paintings that are going to go up in value but you're also making money selling the paintings you have in your own gallery i think it's an absolutely wonderful one hour game 
Absolutely. I don't think I've tried that one. I, I don't think I've ever played that, but it sounds cool. We should bring it out. It, it, it was a game we used to play very heavily in the early days. Um, and nice. don't really get it to the table much anymore. I, I even have like a little... Let me ask you this really quickly about that game. Is the artwork being sold like real things or is it fictional? Um, actually, there are... A... Fictional. It is... It, it, oh, the that's a shame. You no, know, the original edition is fictional, but there are very, there are uh, editions of uh, modern art that... Like a Cezanne edition there... and a Van Gogh. Like yes, If there you are. were trading real art, I think that would make it so much cooler. Different countries have released their own editions of modern art, with and, and some of them have very right. specific art by specific artists. Uh, is it oh, Reiner cool Knizia, Tom, or am I confused again? No, it is. It is Reiner Knizia. Um, there was a game called Cartagena, which I love. It was a, a one-hour game uh, based on a, a real-life uh, escape by pirates from a, a citadel, which is this wonderfully elegant little game where you're moving your pirates through these tunnels that are being dug. And um, it, it's just a very unique card play game where you're collecting cards and then you're spending these cards to move your people further ahead. And... You can always move your your pirate to the next instance of that particular symbol on the on the map as it's being laid out. So if That's you cool. have if you have a parrot card, but there is an empty parrot one space ahead of your pirate, you're only going to move one space. However, if somebody else goes on that pirate to parrot space, then I can go all the way to the next parrot. Which let's suppose there are three other parrots that have already been covered. I'm already all the way at the other end of the of the map already, but that's only one of my guys. I have to move five guys through. Very elegant, very interesting. I really like that. Um, Dimitri, you're going to hate me because I'm going to mention Sleuth. Sleuth is a deduction game that plays in one hour. And for me, it's the best deduction game because it is a pure deduction game. It doesn't have, you know, you're not a monk in a monastery and you have to roll a die and move a certain number of spaces. It's not Clue where you have to roll a die and move a certain number of spaces. You are literally, you literally have a hand of gems. Other people have hands of gems and you have to figure out what gem isn't present and you're constricted in terms of the questions that you can ask. Uh, it is amazing and and really, really hard to play well. You have to take very good, very detailed notes. and the, the, the Oh, taking very good, very detailed notes is more fun than fun for me, let me tell you. Uh, Dimitri, that's oh, I what... I love taking notes. That's what deduction is, Dimitri, okay? If you're not willing to do the work, you don't get to put on the plaid cap. <laughs> All right? Uh, I... I, I want to mention a couple of games that uh, were reviewed on this podcast that people may not realize fit this category. Uh, Dune, uh, A Tale of Conquest and Diplomacy, yep. is a terrific uh, fight in the phone booth for 45 minutes. Uh, and uh, a game that Paul reviewed uh, a couple of years ago also fits. Quacks of Quedlinburg. Yep. Uh, yep. That... It's a game we don't really like at Game Brain, but won a ton of prizes yep. uh, and is very playable and enjoyable. We just don't like it because we're curmudgeons. And and let's recognize that <laughs> that uh, Ricochet Robots and Fresh Fish, two games we bring up all the time, definitely fit this category. They are 100% uh, one-hour games that are puzzle games that, that, uh, that scratch that itch in that particular way. Well, wait, what was that first game you mentioned, Tom? I didn't quite catch it. Um, let me see if I can say it in the Dimitri way. Ricochet robots. <laughs> um, okay. 
So, and then lastly, um, I started off by saying elegance is this is this weird space whereby a game that fits these characteristics that lighter gamers like, which is simple rule set, just a just a couple rules that interact with each other, but the emergent gameplay that comes from those interactions of simple rules is so rich that the game can still become deep, even though the even though the rules that they're based on are are light. Um, that's that's one of the sweet spots for me. That's one of the ultimates. Um, and when I think about this, I think about like Santiago. Santiago is a game in which you have a, a, a certain amount of money. And there are tiles that are going to come out each round. There are only five types of tiles. That's it. There's just five different crops. And you're putting the crops down on... It could not be a simpler board, right? There's. Is there any special spaces on the board? They're like a couple of palm trees out, which put one more cube on the board. That's it. That's it. Everything else about the board is... Every space is exactly the same as every other space. And yet, the emergent gameplay from the simplicity of those rules, which can be taught in five minutes... Uh, really, for me, is something. It is. It is a. It, it is an experience to play that game and to play it at a at a high level, and I absolutely love it. What do you, Dimitri? What do you What do you say to What do you say to that, Santorini? I, I'm, I'm not Santorini. I'm sorry. I, I said Santorini. I uh, Santiago. Santiago. Uh, we actually brought, uh, dusted it off, and played it. I believe back in October. Um, and uh, I, several, it was new to several people, and it's a really deliciously mean game. Uh, and and uh, also, uh, uh, oh God, what's that mechanism we were just talking about what? so many times in Furnace? It just escapes me. Bidding, um, what, engine building. It's a bidding. bidding. It's a bidding. It's a it's bidding. a terrific yeah. bidding game. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it is. And there's an even simpler bidding game that I want to mention. Something we play all the time and don't talk about: Sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, like Santiago, in Sheriff of Nottingham, we take turns uh, trying to get money out of people uh, for opening or not opening packages that they're trying to sneak past us. It's a really fun game. Uh, and I want to mention one other game that we play all the time and don't talk about, and that's Love Letter. Uh, and it's a terrific bluffing game, um, and, and um, sh- people should check it out. Mm. Also, Spin the Bottle is a game that we play a lot, but we never talk about it. Uh, I, I never included them. What happens at game, night at game night Okay. Oh, my God. Sheriff of Nottingham. I would love to play that game with non-sociopaths and just see how it goes. <laughs> um, because mm-hmm. I think I think there's a game yeah. there. I think there's a game there that, with the right crowd, it would be fun or enjoyable. The last two times I played Sheriff of Nottingham with our group of cutthroats, my bag was never not opened. I mean, never not opened. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the bag, Tom? We just want to know. Always. What's in the bag? And and once that becomes the thing, you realize, oh, 
I'm not playing this game. I'm just not. I, I, all I could do <laughs> is never lie, always put out the exact right thing, and I still never quite win because somebody is, is sneaking more contraband than I can get by going in dribs and drabs with what I legitimately get. Um, but yeah, that, that, is, that is something. Um, other games that are uh, simple and yet eminently replayable because they're deep, Santorini. I did mention Santiago, but Santorini. Um, Alfred was just talking last week. He plays with a, a high school friend of mine, uh, 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 Andrew. And they play game after game after game after game. It has that chess aspect to it, and it is uh-huh. just amazing. Um, Bonanza, uh, which is Uwe Rosenberg's first big hit, is a great card game that is eminently replayable and really strategic. Uh, Fresh Fish, I already mentioned. El Grande. I could teach you El Grande in five minutes. It's a game that goes on for an hour and a half, two hours. But boy, is it deep for something that is so simple and so elegant. Um, these are games that escape the Sagrada effect. I really do. I really do feel that there is there are ways to do it, and there are games that do it. And for and let's just finish by saying that this is not this is not something to be avoided. I think the Sagrada effect is a good thing. I just think that Ben is absolutely right to say I don't want to be stuck playing these games that don't fulfill me the way that that that, that I would like. But the way casual gamers become deeper gamers is by playing games that are within their wheelhouse and falling in love with them and then gradually expand, expanding their repertoire. That's absolutely true. Absolutely. I have a list. It's, it's true for me. Yep. 100%. I have a list of five reasons we don't play these games. Hit it. As much as we used to. And, and there are five. The number one reason we don't play these games is Avalon. Yep. We love Avalon. And the hour that we have to spend before playing the three-hour or four-hour serious game, we're we're probably going to play Avalon. We're probably going to play a, that wonderful social deduction game. Yep. Number two, uh, we prefer heavier cruncher games because we usually split into two tables. Uh, and if or each more. table is yeah. playing one game for that night, we don't have to think about oh, what's going to happen, like aligning the ends of the games that are like one-hour games are just harder to coordinate. Yep. Uh, three, something I mentioned earlier, we don't want to do more than one teach a night. And yep. if we're going to play yep. uh, two or three one-hour games, we, we, we will have to teach them. Uh, and even if we played them before, you kind of need a refresh teach. Uh, and that can, it, that can be problematic. Uh, four, that's peculiar to us uh we review games and there's not much to say about the shorter ones and we like to talk and we like to log episodes (laughs) and we we want to make our points so it's easier to review crunchier heavier bigger games yes and number five show manager and I don't mean specifically show manager. Shut, up. Uh, Shut your mouth. Although, 
You shut your mouth. I do need I went and, after after we played that bad game here. I went and played it up at up at the the cousin's house. We had a blast. We had a great. I've played it four <laughs> times in the last four months, and we have had three Please. unmitigated. Everybody loved it, and one but- and one nobody liked it because you guys are just awful, horrible sociopaths. <laughs> there right? is a show manager phenomenon. You are people is- that will always open my bag no matter how reasonable. I say I only have I have two chickens in that bag. That's all I have. And you will open that bag anyway. And those are the but same kind of people is- that will not enjoy a beautiful, wonderful chickens. game about the theater. All right, that's it. There is a <laughs> there is a show manager phenomenon, which is oh just because. Let me put it this way: a three-hour game cannot be played in an hour, uh, unless you're playing it online and you're like super genius Alfred banging out uh, Russian railroads in twelve minutes uh, on BGA or TTS or whatever. He is a machine, but. A one-hour game can definitely be played in three hours. That's true. That's true. Uh, if people yeah. really want to play it in three hours because they're enjoying it oh, so much that, that they're thinking about every single turn and they're showboating, they, which in show manager to showboat, I, I can't really blame them. You, you have but, to showboat a little bit, but you don't have to spend 15 minutes trying to decide which actor to take in this light, fun game where there are caricatures. But enough about that. Gentlemen, I can't believe yes. uh, we, have, we have gone two hours. I've, uh, we, we've, we've made it through that. I am Look going, at you. I'm going to take a you. super long nap. And <laughs> nice. um, it, it, Do it, buddy. In, in all honesty, it's, it's been a pleasure to, to sit here virtually and talk with you guys. I miss you guys desperately and same uh, yeah we're, we're gonna put together a, uh, a game brain con that we will do as safely as we possibly can on president's day weekend uh, I, I you know I should be well well better by that point and uh, and I want to say one more thing I want to apologize for all the extraneous noises during this podcast please forgive us uh, we are recording under not very good circumstances. We're doing our best. Thank you for bearing with us. Very soon we'll be recording live again, and you you will only hear two-thirds of these extraneous noises. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to being in person again, but this is still the most fun. Yeah, agreed, agreed, agreed. Um, yeah, and uh, listen... I'm uh, I'm getting I'm, I'm on the mend. I'm getting better every day. I think things are are you know knock on wood uh, turning out just fine for me. And that's that is because uh, we live in an age of miracles. We live in an age where uh, scientists have worked their entire lives and stood on the shoulders of other scientists who worked their entire lives to try and find answers to things that would kill us. I uh, am a historian. Well said. I completely agree. Thank you. I'm a history uh, My hat goes off to them. It's amazing. I'm a history buff. I love going to, uh, to old places. And uh, when I do, when I see an old graveyard and I walk through there, I am always, always uh, shocked at the number of child graves that are at these sites. Yikes. And, 
Uh, dark once, as that, man. It is, but I once asked a person, I, I asked a docent, um, you, you know, why, why don't we see this anymore? And he was, he was vaccines. He was like, the, literally, uh, the, the, the mortality rate under the age of 10 has, has cratered because of that one innovation. Please get vaxxed. Please get boosted. Um, I, I, I wish that there wasn't a political aspect to this because there is no need for it. It, it literally is a lifesaver. No, it's just a logical thing to do. 100%. It's, it's not about politics. There's a, there's a sickness and there's a cure. I mean, it is, it just go get shot. Just go get your shot. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Game Brain Pod, a Facebook group, a Discord channel. Last week we were talking about uh, how hopping the Discord uh, group is that we have. It really is a lot of fun. Uh, please get in those sommelier questions. I wanted to do a sommelier, but I am not up for it. And you have been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly, Trey Alsop, and Ben Mandelker. Special thanks to Daedalus for incredible music. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. Thanks to Edomar Peleg for incredible graphics. You can get amazing graphics of your own by checking him out. Go to GameBrain.com as well. And you can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Go play some games with friends or make some friends with games.